Welcome into the Sunday Sports Talk, WSU, presenting Sunday Sports Talk. Uh, today is July 19th. My name is Justin Morris. I will be your host for this fine afternoon. I'm joined by Brendan Balsamo today and Michael Daly. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. This is a, uh, it's a good week because we have a lot to talk about, whether it's the NFL, college sports, and deciding their future as well. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty big week considering baseball starting up soon, starting to get the excitement again of sports. So. so, yeah, no, definitely. And speaking of baseball, we actually are in the process of covering a few baseball games for WSU. NJ's last dance, I actually had the pleasure of doing it myself with uh, Mr. Daly to the right. Uh, pretty pretty decent game, a little bit weird with the umpire behind, uh, actually the pitcher in that one, but just fun to do that overall. Um, but we're not going to talk too much about high school baseball, obviously, because the fans don't really know what's going on, but definitely just a positive to get back to sports. So starting off with the MLB, uh, let's get into some baseball. So the actual, the season itself will open on July 30th, according to Commissioner uh, Rob Manfred. And the opening day matchups are actually going to be opening night, I should say, the Giants versus the Dodgers and the Yankees versus the Nationals. But the MLB actually started their summer camp um, a few days ago. And actually, yesterday, there were a few games that took place. So final scores from their summer camp yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw the highlights or not. Bryce Harper actually smacked a couple home runs. Um, at least one big shot off of Max Scherzer. The Phillies actually defeated the Nationals 7-2. The Yankees defeated the Mets 9-3. So I'm pretty happy about that. I know, Michael, you're pretty not happy about that result. And Cleveland defeated the Pittsburgh Pirates 5-3. So my first question for you guys is, do these summer camps mean anything? And do you think they will be enough time or at least for, you know, some kind of spring training or practice sessions to really get these guys back into full playing training? I say they do mean something. Right now, I would say they mean a little bit more than the typical spring training game would just because of the sole fact that most of the players that you see either on the field or in the batter's box, they will actually be a part of the expanded roster this year. So I do take credence in that and that these games do mean something. And I also think they mean a good amount because the fact that if you look at whether it's the Yankees summer camp or the Mets summer camp, they're all intra-squad games. Now, when you have the Yankees playing the Mets, the Pirates playing the Indians, that competitive level opens up a bit. I could see why someone would say these games don't mean anything because it's not official yet, but I, I think they do because this is obviously a different year. With no fans in attendance, this is terrific practice for these players and these teams to get adjusted to a competitive environment without the roar of the crowd either being on your side or being against you. So I do think that these games mean something because odds are, especially when you're looking at teams like the Yankees and Mets or even the Yankees and Nationals, with everything changing this year, you'll be playing these teams. So these games are, are good feelers because you'll be able to see how these teams you know, how they work, how their starting rotations work, so that when these games actually mean something, you kind of have a bit of a leg up in understanding and knowing. Yeah, I completely agree with everything. But uh, also something to bring up is, you know, the establishing of rosters. We're seeing a fight for, you know, the last few roster spots on the 30-man roster coming up. Like, who knows if Clint Frazier obviously showed, showed up to play last night, had an absolute mm -hmm. bomb. We'll see if he has a shot to make the team uh, – come opening day on July 23rd. And uh, I remember I, I remember seeing debates as in if you had to choose between like Mike Ford or Clint Frazier. You also wonder if you want Michael King, who actually didn't pitch that bad last night. But something I think should be brought up too is 
these are important not only for the players, but it's kind of an adjustment for the fans. Trying to get adjusted to the new environment of playing, and uh, the empty stadiums, the cardboard cutouts, the MLB, the show, crowd noise. <laughs> as awkward and weird as it is now, it's something that we're going to have to be adjusted to for the next couple months. So as much as players need to get adjusted and rosters be established during these scrimmages, it's an adjustment for us and the fans as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that point, Brendan. And, you know, I've played a lot of MLB The Show myself over the years, and, you know, that's definitely not the same uh, to hear that crowd noise versus an actual fan stadium. You know, I've been to Yankee Stadium a couple of times uh, myself, and just that environment itself is just absolutely crazy to me. I mean, there's nothing like the actual just playing with the fans, and I think, you know, just players and fans alike in all sports that generally employ fans in their stadiums are going to, you know, have to definitely adjust to what that environment is. Because a lot of times you hear, you know, athletes talking about a lot of the reason that we play and what gets us really pumped up is the fans themselves. Um, but speaking of the Yankees, you know, you mentioned Clint, Clint Frazier and uh, he definitely had a bomb last night with the mask on and everything, which I thought was pretty crazy. But um the Yankees are, are looking like an early favorite thus far with, you know, their potent lineup. They got a couple guys back. Aaron Hicks is healthy. Uh, they just obviously signed Garrett Cole, who many agree is the best pitcher in the league. Um, but the Dodgers also made some moves as well. Mookie Best being signed over there. And, you know, Michael, we were talking earlier, uh, actually, when we were broadcasting the game about how they also, you know, acquired David Price as well. And so in the West, it's looking like, you know, they're going to be an early favorite, especially coming out of the NL. But then you also have those boys down there in Houston who, you know, despite, and we'll get into that a little bit as well, um, but despite their scandal, they still have, you know, the utmost amount of talent. You can argue that the MVP Jose Altuve got was because of their cheating, but nonetheless, they still have a, a you know, huge array of talented players. So early on, you know, it's only 60 games in about 63-ish, four-ish days. Um, that might be a fact, and you guys can debate as to whether or not that is or not, but who are your early favorites? Right now, Obviously, Yankees-Dodgers, that goes without saying. But I'm not entirely confident if those two teams will appear in the World Series because a 60-game season is much different than 162 because it's a sprint. This is pretty much designed for anyone to have a burst of success and take advantage of it. Aside from teams like the Orioles and even the Miami Marlins, Kansas City Royals, teams that you expect to be the basement dwellers, this season is designed for teams that are usually middle of the pack in their divisions to take over. So with that being said, I could easily see a team like the Oakland A's being a bit of a surprise team, not necessarily for the playoffs, but for making a deep run. Because obviously with their bats, with Matt Chapman, as well as Matt Olson, those are two players that they are leaders on that team. And I think they have enough experience to dethrone a team like Houston in the AL West and they have enough experience to make a deep run and a nice charge in the AL playoffs. And then if we're shifting over to the NL, there are a few teams that I think could compete with the Dodgers, but I do see the Dodgers playing well because I like the addition of Mookie Betts. I think that's what puts them over the top right now, adding him with Cody Bellinger. So for me, if I'm going to make an early World Series prediction, it's going to be Oakland A's, Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, okay. I like the prediction there, Daly. So, um, you know, the Dodgers, I definitely agree with you. They, they have, you know, just the utmost amount of offensive talent. You talked about Cody Bellinger. You talked about Mookie Betts. Still employing guys like Max Muncy, um, kind of there in the heart of the lineup. Jock Peterson as well. So they're going to be a, a really hard team to contend with. In terms of offseason, 
moves. So, you know, we talked about Mookie Betts. We talked about uh, the Yankees signing Gary Cole. A few other big moves, I would say, uh, the Angels signing on Anthony Rendon was a pretty big deal to kind of match them up with uh, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout out there. Who would you say, and I think we're getting Ben back in right now, so we'll see what he thinks about that as well, but who would you say made the biggest offseason move in the MLB? It was the New York Yankees with Garrett Cole because one thing that hurt the Yankees in the postseason was not being able to match the depth with their starters with Houston. Now they have one of Houston's best starters last year. It was either him or Justin Verlander. And now they have Garrett Cole. So I think that puts them over the top because something that they struggled with last year was having that ace that could be in there every five games and that you could really rely on. What helped them and what was kind of their saving grace was their relief pitching. Now that they have an ace, a certified ace in Garrett Cole, I think that puts the Yankees over the top. And honestly, it would not surprise me if my prediction's wrong and the Yankees get to the World Series just okay. because they have a guy in Garrett Cole that can strike people out and also he can manage his ERA. That was a big problem last year. And with guys like Domingo Herman, he's sitting out. If the Yankees are able to get him back, I think that will help them out. But I think having Garrett Cole is definitely the biggest offseason move. Yeah, honestly, man, I, I, I'm hoping that your prediction is wrong and that the Yankees can, can make it over the top because, you know, we hear all the time, especially with as many pennants as they have thus far to their to their name and just the story history that the Yankees uh, have in general, it's either title or bust for that for that team. And, you know, especially with the money that they have and really you know, their offense was, I would say, the best, you know, not to be a biased fan or anything, but the most potent, probably high powered in the league last year. And so you had the pitching, you had a few levers, obviously, with Otis Chapman um, and Dylan Batances was a great reliever as well. Um, but then you add starting pitching like that, and I really think that would be enough to get them over the top. But for Brendan, the question, uh, as you're just coming back in, was who do you think, and Michael said that Garrett Cole, he believed, was the biggest all-season move that a team made, but I kind of mentioned some other names. Mookie Betts going to the Dodgers, Anthony Rendon to uh, the Los Angeles Angels. But in your opinion, who do you think made the biggest off-season splash? Uh, I, you know, you just got to go with uh, with Garrett Cole. I mean, the most one of the most expensive contracts in baseball yeah. history. You got to, but that not to overlook the Mookie Betts move. Uh, the Red Sox, you know, let him let him go to the Dodgers, and then I a lot of people overlook the Anthony Rendon move, which is huge. He really he had been great up until 2019, but 2019 is when he really started to get you know uh, headlines in with the Nationals, and when he came to play in the World Series, he proved that he can hit. And that offense with Trout, him, and Otani, and the Angels only lack pitching. There is no lack of strength in that lineup. Uh, Rendon being added to the to the Angels finally gives the Astros and A's some competition in the AL West. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Houston was pretty much dominating the West for the longest amount of time. But as we know now, that may have been for, you know, a reason that was not due to the, the talent that they have. So speaking of Houston, um, you know, we heard some of the boos in, in the initial spring training before COVID hit. Um, and, you know, a ton of comments from all over the league from guys like Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger, people from the Dodgers, and especially um, the Dodgers and Yankees, who Houston kind of went through on their way to the World Series titles that they or title that they did get. Um, how do you think Houston? First off, I ask, how do you think Houston will perform this year without, um, you know, just the the ability to cheat with their kind of underhanded tactics being found out? And what do you think the aftermath of the entire Houston situation will be? Um, I think. This is a tough. This is a tough one to answer because 
it, it pains me that they had to cheat because they had such a talented team regardless. Carlos Correa, George Springer, Altuve, even Yuli Gurriel were all fantastic enough on their own. And with that, you know, that put them above in 2017 and got them, if they did cheat in 2019, which most likely they did, uh, it got them to another World Series. So it's hard to, for sure to say that they will really struggle because, one, they're a good enough team, and two, they won't have to deal with the fan backlash, you know, in person. Um, but I do think there's going to be some sort of lingering mora- uh, effects on team morale that might, you know, hinder them just slightly in, in a shortened season. That's going to be, you know, it could be catastrophic, but we'll see where they go. I it's hard to say for sure, but I'm leaning towards it's going to hold them back a little bit. I disagree. I do not think this will hold them back at all because in a COVID world, they do not really have to deal with any of the backlash, especially in the stadium that they once had to deal with. And even in 2020, they had to deal with fans banging trash cans and what have you. Now they no longer have that problem. And honestly, I think moving forward, they can kind of just clear out all of the distractions and focus on what they have to do. Because here's the thing. They were let off the hook twice, not only with the fact that they won't be taunted and booed in 2020. And you could even say, all right, well, 2021, people will taunt and boo them. But it's different. This was supposed to be the year that they were supposed to receive their comeuppance, and they didn't. And also, with just the complete mishandling by Rob Manfred with the bearing down of suspensions and discipline, it was that's something that should have been much more severe, but it wasn't. Jim Crane, a multi-billionaire, was fined $5 million, which to him is a drop in the bucket. So really, it wasn't much. And even he was saying that, you know, he really didn't have anything to do with it, whatever. But at the end of the day, Houston's a team that they were let off the hook. And honestly, I do not think they're showing any contrition. I really think they're, they're only apologizing, quote unquote, because they got caught. If they never got caught, I think they would have continued to do this. And honestly, they probably would have continued to be successful at it. So I think now, yes, they learned their lesson, but I don't think they're negatively impacted in any way by it. I just think now they kind of just have to change up their tactics and play by the rules a bit. But I think when you have guys that you talked about, Brendan, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, an MVP candidate, those players, they are talented. They did not need to bang on trash cans and do all of the foul things that they did. They are good on their own. And also, just look at their pitching. Justin Verlander won the Cy Young last year. That just goes to show how good of a pitcher he is. They still have him, and it's remarkable at his age how well he's performing. But honestly, I think they will be okay, and I do think they will make the playoffs and be a contender in the AL. You know, you start to wonder if, if teams will pump in and will be the show booze opposing uh, <laughs> barks because you never know. They can do what they want with that. Possibly. I wouldn't be surprised to see it, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, Michael, you kind of mentioned – Um, you know, some internal struggles going on and I guess a little bit of blame game being going on with, you know, Jim Crane kind of saying had nothing to do with me. Um, And there really wasn't any sort of, you know, I guess integral source that was sort of pointed out as, you know, this was the the actual culprit of who started it or this is, you know, kind of who was leading the charge in terms of um, the bang on the trash cans, all the strategies really that they used to basically cheat. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned outside, they have a, a plethora of, of talented players like you guys both mentioned, you know, immense talent, not only from their stars and from MVP candidates to even their young bucks coming up. Uh, Jordano Ventura, Yuli Gurriel, lots of, you know, really exceptional players that can play on their own. 
without any type of, of you know necessity for cheating. But um, internally, do you guys see any problems going on in terms of the, the actual kind of just just I would say you know just collection of players and and uh, the management and and obviously AJ Hinch himself as well was a big player in it as well. Do you guys see any back and forth or any friction going on within the team itself? Obviously, I think they'll be okay. And we all kind of said, I think they'll be okay going against other teams. Do you think within the clubhouse, there'll be any type of disagreement or friction that will lead to their downfall? Within the clubhouse, they'll be okay because they have Dusty Baker at the helm. And honestly, I think with all of the years of experience that he's had, you know, he was the manager of the Reds at one point. He was also the manager of the San Francisco Giants when there was a little bit of friction between two of their star players, Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent. He was able to manage that and deal with that. I definitely think he can do that. And he was the right guy for the job because clearly A.J. Hinch wasn't. Clearly A.J. Hinch was doing something that was nefarious and it was going against the rule book. Now you have an old-fashioned player who in his own right, Dusty Baker was a terrific player for the LA Dodgers and other teams as well. He's a person that has a ton of experience and he will write the track. And also the reason why I do not think there's any dissent going on in that clubhouse is because you have the leaders on the team like Carlos Correa, even Jose Altuve. Not only are they defending themselves, but they're also defending their teammates at some point to their own fault. You know, mm-hmm. with, the, with the tattoo thing, when Altuve hit the home run and he didn't want anyone to rip it off, uh-huh. There was the whole conspiracy theory. <laughs> the fact that Carlos Correa stood up for him and he took a lot of flack for it, that just showed me right or wrong, whether you agree with it or not, they have each other's backs. So that's why I don't think there's too much of an internal struggle going on in Houston right now. Yeah, I would have to agree as in, you know, they were all in it together, you know, and um, it seemed like if someone didn't want to participate in it, they, they respected that as in, you know, Tony Kemp, he came out and said that, when he came up in 2017, he said he didn't want to do it. And as much as they wanted him to take part, uh, they, they didn't force it on him. I think if we will see any struggle like um, between players, it'll be between the Astros and opposing players rather than in their own clubhouse. Okay. So, you know, that's definitely going to be a concern going into the season. Obviously, Houston uh, went to the World Series last year. They have a World Series title to their name and, you know, I kind of think that there should be some form of either removal or maybe some kind of asterisk next to that World Series because if you cheat to get it, then to me it's not valid. Um, but the bigger concern, the much bigger concern within the MLB and within the world right now is obviously the coronavirus and just the COVID pandemic itself. Um, a few MLB players have actually tested positive. There was a story that came out a few days ago about Freddie Freeman of the Braves um, basically saying that he was praying for his life. He had a fever of, I believe, like 104.5 or something like that. And, you know, it was really just a scary time for him um, after contracting the virus. We saw what happened with Yasiel Puig as well, unable to sign uh, with his new team in Braves because of uh, his contraction of the virus and a few other players, DJ LeMahieu included, um, who contracted the virus. So my question about the, the virus itself within the MLB specifically is, do you guys think that that will pose a problem um, to players and to, you know, the way that, Basically, the system is set up. Do you think that COVID will impact how MLB is trying to bring back the season? And do you think that this is the right uh, method in terms of having a season in the first place, the 60-game, um, you know, sort of formula that they're trying to bring out? Is COVID going to impact that, you guys think, in any way? I think they're in a good spot because they're in a better spot than most of the other sports coming back right now because they have the advantage of playing outdoors. Uh, you know, you see NBA and NHL coming back. They're all, you know, self-contained in hub cities and inside and that's 
you know, an inherent disadvantage that those sports have. The MLB, meanwhile, has these big open spaces. You don't have to bunch up like in basketball and hockey. Um, they have that inherent advantage. And if you see players keep, you know, being responsible, like Clint Frazier wearing a mask during games, he had a home run with a mask on last night. Uh, I think that's a great precedent to set. The worry is just when you go to from New York, which is where they're starting to contain it, down to play Tampa and Miami. Uh, where, you know, the numbers are starting to get a little higher. And then you start to think of once the World Series comes through and say it's Yankees-Dodgers, Yankees flying out to L.A. during the second spike, most likely, um, you know, what that's going to bring. But that's a long way down the line. And as of now, they're probably doing a better job than any other sport. So this is a multi-layered discussion, and there's a lot to unpack because, yes, as of now, the MLB, they're doing a great job. They only have six positive tests out of 10,548, which is good because that's only 0.05%. So you look at that statistic and you say to yourself, wow, they're doing a terrific job, which they are. But the problem is it's not how can the MLB start their season, which I wholeheartedly believe they will. It's how will they be able to end it, right, Brendan? You talked about that second spike. With the fact that the MLB, they are playing across the country, right? They're not in a bubble. They're traveling. Yes, they are charter planes, but they're still coming across people that aren't quarantined. They're coming across people that could be infected. I think that could have a negative impact. And look, I hope to be a a complete idiot on this, right? I I hope that I am completely dead wrong. I want to see a World Series. I want to see the playoffs happen. But in my heart of hearts, I don't know if that will happen because as of now, I personally think a bubble type atmosphere is the best way to go because you can at least control who's coming in and out. Obviously, there's no perfect solution. A bubble will get popped at a certain point. You will have positive tests coming in and out. But with the MLB, their problem is the fact that they will be traveling, right? Their luggage will be touched by handlers. Obviously, everyone wants to be safe, especially people handling their luggage at the airports. I'm sure they will be clean, but there's a lot of risk, especially just for example, right? You have the Mets and the Yankees. Who are two teams in both of their divisions? The Miami Marlins, Tampa Bay Rays. They play in Florida, which is a hotbed for the coronavirus right now. And then you look at the Toronto Blue Jays. Yesterday, it came down by the federal government in Canada that they're not allowed to play at Rogers Center. Now they either have to play in Dunedin, Florida, or most likely Buffalo. There's a lot of issues going on right now. So you know, there definitely won't be baseball in Canada, but I'm just not entirely confident that the season will go through until October, November, whenever it's supposed to end. I hope I'm completely wrong, but again, I'm not confident that it will end. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> the whole idea with Toronto right now is absolutely crazy. <laughs> We're about, I would say, 10 days from the time that they're supposed to play their opening game, and they don't know where it's going to be. So, you know, the fact that they don't have an, a home stadium is pretty crazy to me. Obviously, a team like Toronto, the only one in, in Canada, that's that's a pretty difficult obstacle to try to come kind of overcome. And they talked about a few different places. Florida was one of them, obviously. Florida now is pretty much a hotbed for the virus and um, a few other places that they were looking at going. But yeah, as of right now, I mean, this is unprecedented, of course, because of the virus itself. But I mean, there's a team right now that doesn't have a home site to even play their games in the first place. Um, but moving on to another league, let's talk about the National Football League. And their return to uh, actual playing. So as of right now, the NFL uh, announced about 100 days ago that they are wanting to do 
their basically just regular form of uh, you know, games being played. So uh, about 100 days ago when you know, NFL or the virus itself kind of came out, and the NBA was actually the first to cancel their season. NFL came out and said, we want to have our regular season whenever that is to come. So NFL season starts in September, October. Um, but as the virus kind of went on, they started to make some changes to how they were going to do things and, and go about their season. So they canceled a few games, the Hall of Fame game being one of them, which is usually, you know, their biggest preseason. So, so as of right now, teams will be playing two preseason games um, and they're still pretty much wanting to go forward with the regular 16-game slate of, of games being played. So my question for you guys in terms of the NFL in general is, what do you think about the, the overall 16-game season? Do you think that will work for the league? And if not, then what do you think is the best way to go about the season? Of all the leagues, I think the NFL is probably the most stubborn. I think that's a nice way to put it. They want this to happen. And what will help the NFL compared to college football is the fact that they're not on campuses. And it's a little bit easier to sequester themselves but the problem they're running into is the fact that, one, they're not in a bubble like the MLB is. But, two, who knows what the second wave is going to be. And a lot of these players, they do not feel protected at all because you have the rookies coming in on Tuesday. You have quarterbacks and injured players coming in on Thursday. And then you have everyone else, I believe, coming in on the 25th or the 26th. So, yes – you know, th I do think there is a possibility that, you know, you can run through training camp and start the season off, but you can only have 20 players in a facility at a time. That's problematic because how do you run a full practice if that's the case with 20 players at a time? And also when you have players like Stefan Diggs tweeting out, and I'm going to read his tweet, if Adam Silver can respect the voices and protect his NBA players, why can't Roger Goodell do the same? Listen to your players. If we, if if we want to have a full season, it will have to look different with our safety as the priority. NFL, make the necessary changes. Hashtag, we want to play. Look, you're talking about a top 10 wide receiver airing out his grievances because clearly he doesn't feel safe. So if he doesn't feel safe, how do you think all of the other players feel? Not too confident that they're being protected. And also, with, with the ridiculous ruling that they can play for 60 minutes, tackle each other, hurt each other, no problem but you can't swap jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me that you can't contract the virus within three hours of playtime, but you can contract the, vir the virus anywhere from two to 10 minutes after a game. That's ridiculous. Something needs to be changed because that's not the way you go about it. You do not go about it trying to make small changes here, hoping that you're covering up a hole because guess what? That hole is going to burst and it is going to be a problem. Yeah, you, you understand the intent. You, you want that sense of normalcy, but you also want to restrict in order to, you know, contain the virus. But kind of stopping the jersey swapping is kind of like Rob Manfred, you know, saying just put up a four for an intentional walk. It's like, great, cut out 30 seconds. Great, they can't gain the virus then. But you're, you're, the whole sport is based around touching. You can't play it without you know, that physical contact. Um, it's it's going to be very hard to contain it, especially during a fall and winter that the CDC said is going to be one of the darkest we've ever seen. Um, I, I, there really, I don't know if there is like a feasible way to even have a season while trying to contain the virus unless you, you, you do hub cities like, like the NBA and the NHL. It's going to be hard for 
teams to go back and forth and try and stay healthy at the same time. Uh, there needs to be a little bit more leeway given in, in terms of how to make the schedule and how to keep the players safe. Yeah, no, I definitely like that idea about MCDs. I think, you know, Michael, you kind of alluded to this earlier in terms of the MLB, but just the overall aspect of traveling, having people touch your things, going from city to city. Um, you know, the NFL doesn't have any teams in Canada, so that's great. I guess you know, they don't have to, or like they can avoid going out of the country, but still, you know, there's teams from Buffalo all the way to California. They're going to have to travel. They're going to have to go through a lot of different obstacles and a lot of different people to try to play these games. And like you said, I mean, the whole jersey swapping thing, it's a physical contact sport. You're going to touch somebody every single play. To me, not being able to swap the jerseys is just completely ridiculous. Um, but moving on to something else that a lot of people thought for a very, very long time was just utterly absurd, ridiculous. Um, Washington, the Washington football team, is undergoing a name change from the name that they had long time um, that you know many people thought was a derogatory term, which I'll say personally, I believe it was also, um, which was Redskins. Um, so after a lot of lobbying from a lot of people, but you know, most people kind of believe it's through um, the, the works and the, the pushes of the FedEx sponsors that sponsor FedEx Field in Washington, but also you know, have a big, big stake in what Washington does as a football team. The owner Dan Snyder came out and said, okay, not only are we going to be changing the name, but we're going to be making a lot more changes in terms of just how we operate as a football team, as an environment overall. Um, so my question, that's a two-part question, is first of all, what does this name change mean um, you know, for not only the NFL, but for sports in general and for you know, the culture itself? And also, do you think that we will see other teams with similar names, maybe not as derogatory or blatant as Redskins, like let's say the Cleveland Indians, for example, the Atlanta Braves, um, even the Cincinnati Reds, you know, some people kind of look at that as so-so. And, and actually, in the 60s or 70s, I believe the Syracuse, uh, Syracuse Orange were actually the Orange Men, which they shortened down to uh, Orange to be less derogatory. So, one, what do you guys think that the, the name change in Washington means? Two, do you guys think that we will see a, a similar, similar teams? Kansas City Chiefs is another example that will follow suit and change their names. I think uh... – it's nothing but good. I mean, if it's, if it, if it's offending people, uh, what's the harm? It's just the name. Then sure, you have to make more jerseys, but they're a billion-dollar franchise. It's not hurting people to change the name, but it's hurting people to keep the name. So I think it was the right choice. And I think um, this won't spark name changes but I think down the line we could see teams doing that like the Indians maybe the Blackhawks uh, possibly the Braves you know the Braves seem very adamant on it we already saw the Indians take away the, the Chief Wahoo mm -hmm. logo so it, it's not uh, out of the realm of reality to, to think that they could sometime down the line. In May 2013 Dan Snyder said he went on record and said I will never change the Washington Redskins name. Well, guess what? Seven years later, they are no longer called that name. And Dan Snyder deserves zero credit for this name change because if it wasn't for the fact of sponsorships like FedEx, Pepsi, and a few other sponsors kind of poking at his pockets, guess what? They would still be called that name. And honestly, for you know the fans of the Washington football team, I'm sure it's not fun for them you know, to, to have this name be changed, but it's the right move. And eventually, when we look at five, 10 years down 
down the line, I think everyone will agree in a consensus form that, you know what, it was the right thing to do because who are we to tell the offended party, in this case being the Native Americans, that they shouldn't be offended because something's called the Redskins? Clearly, they feel that this is a derogatory name. And even me, an outside perspective, I can see why that would be an offensive name. So I have no problem, obviously, with that name being changed. But honestly, this is a name that should have been changed a long time ago. And not to compare things that are going on in Washington, but just when you thought things couldn't get worse with the Redskins changing their name, look at everything else that was coming out with the Washington Post article and things like that. Honestly, I think it's about time that Dan Snyder lets go of his ownership of this team. I think it's going to take a lot for him to let go of being the owner of the Washington Redskins because he loves it so much. He loves having this power, but I think people are fed up, whether it's the media, it's the fans, it's even his players. It's about time. And now for kind of looking at, you know, what this name change and even the culture of the Redskins, what that does for leagues like NHL, MLB, NBA, whatever. I think when you're looking at a team like the Cleveland Indians, I, they said that they were, you know, kind of going uh, undergoing a thorough investigation of their name and they were looking into all possible changes. I do see the Cleveland Indians changing their name. Who knows what the Braves are going to do, but you know what, if you have a name that offends people, then honestly, I think it is fair to look at it, observe the name, do a deep dive on it and see, should we change this or not? You know, it, it is a good thing that the Redskins are, are changing their name. And I think having Ron Rivera aboard in Washington I think is a great move because he's a smart guy. Look at everything he was able to do with the Carolina Panthers. A lot of people give credit to Cam Newton for that franchise turning around, but they forget about how good Ron Rivera was. Ron Rivera turned the Carolina Panthers defense into a potent one with guys like Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley. I'm sure he can do the same thing with players like Chase Young and a few other players on that D line as well. So I I honestly think that the Redskins, you know, it may take for Dan Snyder to leave in order for them to be in the step in the right direction. But I do think eventually with Ron Rivera at the helm and at least with the right people in those offices making the decisions, I do think that the Redskins will be okay in about 10 years from now, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, like you said, seven years ago, Dan Snyder kind of said himself, I'm never doing this. I think stepping down in terms of ownership will be that much harder um, for that man. You know, he's, he's definitely a prideful individual, as are most NFL owners. Um, you kind of alluded to Cam Newton earlier, Michael, and that was a, a pretty, I would say, savvy move by Bill Belichick and the Patriots kind of waiting him out to see if there were any other teams that would jump on the on the Cam Newton bait. And no one did. Bill Belichick was able to wrap him up for, I believe, about 550K, um, which wasn't a lot if you're ter- talking about a former MVP player. Um, but there were a ton of moves throughout this NFL offseason, a ton of, I would say, you know, lack of of moves. You know, the Cowboys put Dak Prescott on their franchise tag for another year. Um, and then the Chiefs, they inked up their quarterback to the largest deal in sports history. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys a similar question as we talk more about the playing field itself and, and uh, what actually takes place on the gridiron. Who do you guys think made the biggest move? Um, in the NFL in terms of free agency or in terms of trades, you know, obviously Tom Brady went over to Tampa Bay. Um, so what was the biggest move for you guys in the NFL? I would probably have to go with the Brady move. 
it's the obvious choice, but you ten years ago you'd never think Brady would play for anyone but the Patriots because he it's Tom Brady and the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick are all synonymous with each other. But it it's also very hard to just gloss over the Chiefs signing Mahomes for with incentives five hundred million dollars. It's absurd that there's that much hype surrounding one player and it's hard to not believe that he could be realistically become one of the best quarterbacks to ever play. Uh, and you know, if, if he lives up to his contract, he most certainly will. Um, so as it's not, uh, this off season wasn't a peppering of a bunch of medium to big moves. This was just an off season of continually huge moves that not, not many people saw coming. For me, the biggest move of the off season it was not Tom Brady. It was not Cam Newton. It wasn't even Patrick Mahomes. It was Chris Jones re-signing or extending his contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. Because, yes, it's important for Patrick Mahomes to get his money. He deserves every penny of it. But in order to win a Super Bowl or in order to win another Super Bowl, you also need a defense. And Chris Jones was the leader of that defense through and through. And he wanted to get paid, and rightfully so. He's easily a top five interior lineman in the NFL he deserves his money. I don't know how much the Kansas City Chiefs are hamstrung by not only paying Patrick Mahomes, but now paying Chris Jones. But Patrick Mahomes was very happy that Chris Jones got his money and he will be a Chief for long term because not only do you need your offense to perform at a high level, but you also need your defense to perform at a high level. And in recent years, even when Alex Smith was the quarterback, defense was an issue for the Chiefs. Now having Chris Jones there and having a happy Chris Jones, more importantly, in my opinion, I think that's the biggest move because this allows the Chiefs to make a run at a back-to-back Super Bowl run. Who knows? Maybe they're the next dynasty. But you need that key piece, that key cog in the wheel on defense in order to do that. And that's why I feel Chris Jones was the biggest move of the offseason. Okay, so you kind of mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs. And as of right now, you know, pretty much everyone has them as – their favor going into next season. Obviously, just like inked up uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes is the biggest deal of all time, as you mentioned. And, you know, there's so many people, Ren, you kind of said it, how he has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. There's so many people after just, you know, year three, year two of actual playing, you know, year one, he throws 50 touchdowns. Year two, he wins the Super Bowl. There are so many analysts and people out there that are saying, you know what, this guy is the best that I've ever seen. He's only basically played two years. Aside from that, you know, the Madden ratings just came out. The Kansas City Chiefs absolutely blew away Everybody else, when it comes to offensive ratings, they're tied in. Travis Kelsey, I believe, is a 97. Tyree Kill might be in the 99 club, I believe. And you have other, you know, just extremely, uh, I would say, quick and just lethal weapons in terms of Nicole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, um, and their defense. So is it too obvious to say that Kansas City will be the favorite, or is there somebody else that you think can usurp them in terms of their crown next season? No, it's not too obvious to say that Kansas City um, is the favorite because, yes, are they a favorite? Absolutely. But – it's not like they will be uncontested because guess what? I think Cam Newton going to Foxborough, they're a team that, especially in January, when, when everything's on the line and everything matters, they're a team that I think not only can they beat New England, uh, not only can they beat Kansas City rather, but I think, you know, they have a shot just based off experience. And if Newton and Belichick are able to mesh with one another, you know, I, I definitely think they will give Kansas City a run for their money. And also you have to look at a team like Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, there's a good chance that he can have another MVP season 
or at least he'll get some MVP votes again because he showed that he's more than just a runner, as some people were saying when he was drafted. He can throw the ball as well. He did a great job at that. And also you have another team in Tennessee. Tennessee, they, they weren't a fluke last year. They were a real team. They were solid on defense as well. You know, they're passing. They were a little pedestrian with Ryan Tannehill. But that was pretty much in the postseason. In the regular season, they were solid. So I, I do not think that Kansas City will be the clear-cut favorite to win it all. I do think that, you know, they will have to pl- – they will essentially have to be 12-4, and 13-3, and three, I think, to make the Super Bowl because they have to set themselves up to have, you know, th- those seedings and, and the buys in the playoffs. And you basically brought up every team I wanted to talk about except for one, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, now having – Tom Brady and adding Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. Of course, I'm a believer in that Tom Brady was a system QB in New England. Hot take or not, that's what I believe. (laughs) So I'm excited to see what he's going to do, and I want him to prove me wrong and have an incredible season down in Tampa and prove that he he really is the GOAT. And uh, if he does have a great season down there, I will concede and say he's the GOAT, but um, I think they could they could give Kansas City a run for their money because they have the five Super Bowls of experience over Mahomes' one and a loss in the AFC Championship game. So uh, I think if they come to play uh, and Brady proves that he's more than just what Belichick, Belichick made him, I think Tampa Bay could give him a run. But if not, then I would definitely look at Baltimore, most likely. Okay. And I like the, I like the Tampa Bay prediction because I think, you know, they, they are definitely – and we'll see how Tom Brady works out with Bruce Arians. I mean, a lot of people say he's a quarterback whisperer, and he really – I don't think he needs to do too much whispering to a guy like Tom Brady. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think that that's too hot of a take, Brendan. I think there are a lot of people that think that, um, you know, Bill Belichick was a lot more responsible for their wins than Tom Brady was and. I'm not going to say I'm one of them. I do believe he's one of the most talented quarterbacks and hardworking quarterbacks of all time. But I do definitely think Tampa Bay is, is a team that will make tremendous waves in that conference. Um, so moving on to the college well, Actually, ranks. before we move on, uh, none of us brought up the New Orleans Saints. Well, they here, are... here's the reason. Here's the reason why I never brought up Tampa <laughs> Bay. Because they have to get through the New Orleans Saints. And the New Orleans Saints are not a team that you can just push by. So that's actually good on you. For bringing that up but that's why I didn't bring up Tampa Bay because a lot of people on paper I call this the Cleveland Browns effect right look at Cleveland last year everyone thought oh they're gonna make the Super Bowl I literally heard people saying Cleveland will make the Super Bowl same thing was said this year about Tampa Bay. <laughs> I'm not saying that Tampa Bay can't make the Super Bowl this year but they have to get past New Orleans they also have to get past Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater and they also have to get past the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons now add Todd Gurley. When healthy, I personally believe, is a top three running back. So that's why I was a little too quick on just saying, oh, yeah, let's throw Tampa Bay in that conversation. Because I don't think right now you can say that they're going to win a Super Bowl because they have to get past their division, and then they have to get past everyone else. Well, I speaking said them, of the yeah, same. I, I said them because I think – at, is is Drew Brees still that quarterback to be able to get them? Uh, yeah, I think at playing at their max potential, I think the Buccaneers could really prove something. Do I think they will achieve that max potential? Probably not. But I think if they could 
fulfill that, then totally. But the Saints right now are, are the team to beat in that division because they have all that talent. And Michael Thomas is an incredible wide receiver. And uh, now they, they brought in Jameis Winston, a quarterback, and to back up Drew Brees. So if he ever goes down with an injury because he's starting to age, he could, uh, he could always come in after getting laser eye surgery after throwing 30 interceptions last year, but still 30 touchdowns. He has the potential. Uh, so I, I was just saying Tampa because I think if, if they really live up to the potential that they have, they could make a splash. Okay. And at the end of the day, you know, like Mike, we kind of alluded to, Cleveland, a lot of people had a lot of predictions about them just because of their offense on paper. You've seen this plenty of times. If you go back to, I believe, 2012, it was in Philly uh, with their dream team, and everyone was talking about how, how great that team was going to be uh, with Michael Vick at the helm. So it, it's really difficult to, to make predictions when it comes to paper. As of right now, on paper, the best team is the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, they've proven that on the field as well, that they're, you know, one of the, the teams to contend with and probably the team to be the teams are going to kind of be looking forward to um, taking out their throne because they have it right now. So we'll move on to the college ranks as we, uh, as we close out. Obviously, what we do is basketball. Our, our main thing is basketball, being Seton Hall students. You know, clearly, we don't have a football team. So there have been a lot of colleges that are just, you know, conferences um, in the NCAA that have come out and basically said, you know, we're either going to either um, – have conference-only schedules, the Big Ten was one of them, or just completely have canceled their season and said, no, we're not going to do anything with the virus coming out. But to focus strictly, we're not going to go through the entire array of NCAA sports. Basketball specifically, what are your guys' predictions for the NCAA in terms of how they will play out with their basketball? So I saw um, Kevin Willard's response to Rick Pitino's thoughts on just starting the season in January. Um and he was basically saying that it would be much smarter to start it earlier and take advantage of the time on campus during Christmas break uh, because there'll be no other students on campus besides athletes uh, and it'll be much easier to contain it. And I completely agree. Uh, I think taking advantage of that first period on campus and establishing sort of, I guess, the bubble that the athletes got to live in because they're traveling um, is the smart way to go about it rather than bring them back with all the students possibly risk if go go the, the possibly risk covid going from a student to an athlete and which might have to make the entire team quarantine uh it's just much easier to establish establish it early with no one around than to just pick it up cold turkey while campus is completely populated look in an ideal world it would be nice as kevin willard talked about to have the season start on the first tuesday of november like traditionally it does and look as a college basketball fan that that is the most premier thing i want to happen this year i do not want the season to get pushed back to january 1st but you know what we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what four months from now will look like we don't know what two months from now will look like so yes it's all good to talk about you know, what should happen and, and the season shouldn't get pushed back. It should start on time because we could take advantage, but we don't know. And that's the problem right now because there's a lot of people who are coming up with these solutions, which are great on paper, but will they actually work? I don't know. That's why I, I, I'm more so lean towards what Rick Patino was saying. And the idea of worst comes to worst, we start no earlier than January 1st if it's that bad, but that's not to say that we can't start November 5th, but if November 5th is not 
a real option by saying, oh yeah, we're, we're going to start on time, November 5th. And when you can't, what does that do? You have to go back to January 1st. So I just think by having January 1st being that stopgap time period, it buys you time. Because if you see in August or in September that things are going well and you could possibly start in November, then okay, start in November. But if you see that that second wave is not looking too promising, then you can go January 1st. That's why right now I'm not big on these predictions. I'm not big on listening to what anyone except for the CDC directors have to say. And I have a ton of respect for Kevin Willard. Obviously, he's a person who knows how to schedule games. So he has a lot of experience in that regard. But I want to hear from people like Robert Redfield. That's who I want to hear from and Anthony Fauci on when this season should start. Not college coaches because they, they don't have the medical background that Anthony Fauci does. So I want to hear from people like that talking about ways to contain the virus and stop the spread. If it means starting post-January 1, then we start post-January 1. If it means we, we can start November 5th, then we start November 5th. Either way, you know, I don't think we can dismiss either option and act like it's foolish to go either way. I think we have to keep in mind that anything's a possibility and we can't dismiss anything. Yeah, no, I completely agree. In terms of this, I think the, the best quote that I've heard about anything regarding sports is that, you know, the virus controls what we do. We don't control what the virus does. So you have to work your way around it. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not going to say that college coaches don't care about the health of their players because I know that they do. But college coaches also want basketball to return and all their sports to return because that's not only what they love to do, but that's how they get paid at the end of the day. Um, so they're going to want to return to their seasons. And they may not be looking at, you know, health or, or just COVID as the number one thing when it comes to, um, you know, bringing back the season. They may be kind of downplayed a little bit, just having other, um, you know, kind of, of desires behind their decisions and, and predictions for what should happen with the season. But, fellas, we live in a COVID world. So last question before we do wrap this up is obviously there have been a ton of returns to sports um, in, in a bunch of different ways, bubbles with different leagues. Some are just saying, you know, it's a heck with it. We're going to do what we've normally done. Um, and others are taking just tremendous changes and putting in all kinds of different implementations to try to get back to some form of, of playing because sports generally makes the world go, world go around. So what are you guys's, um, I would say, I guess, what is the best um, league that that has, or which league has done the best job in bringing sports back to some form of normalcy or regular playing? The US. Right, right now, Justin, I would say the UFC has. And I know, you know, the traditional answer would be talking about NBA, but I'm going to go the UFC because they had a unique opportunity to get their promotion back up and running. And they did just that. Yes, they had people test positive and they did a phenomenal job by having kind of their own hub cities in a way and being able to not only have events and cards in the U.S. and Las Vegas, but also in Abu Dhabi, which they're having right now. And, and their island. last card will be next Saturday. So for me, I think there's no one that has done a better job than the UFC because they don't have the same issues that the NBA does. They kind of have like a rotating circus and there's not as many people for them to keep track of. It's really just fighters, staffers, cornermen, people like that, that they really just have to keep track of as opposed to, you know, an entire team with equipment people and things of that nature. So that's why I feel the UFC has done the best job because they've really contained the virus as best as they could. Honestly, the UFC isn't even something I considered, but that is an excellent point that 
they they honestly have done an excellent job. Uh, but in terms of the five major sports, four of which have been going on, um, I would probably have to say MLB, like I said earlier, because just inherently they have an advantage with, you know, just it's just better to be spaced out while playing and, and outdoors. They have that inherent advantage. It, it's tough circumstances for the NBA and the NHL uh, because it's such a close quarters sport, which requires bodily contact. Um and it's indoors as well. I think the NBA and NHL have done great jobs as well. And I think if, if we want to talk about the MLS, uh, I believe they're not doing such a great job at containing, at trying to contain. I think right, some teams completely backed out of their uh, restart plan. So uh, I think for the most part, we've seen leagues do good jobs besides like the MLS. Okay. And, and you know, UFC is a great – a great uh, observation. I wouldn't even thought of that myself, honestly. When I was asking the question, I was kind of thinking about uh, the four, I guess you could say five major sports, including MLS. Um, but even sports like boxing have done, you know, a tremendous job in terms of bringing back into me. Watching boxing and even the UFC is, is completely different, especially when you hear a knockout. That sound is just absolutely crazy. And it's, it's honestly, you know, a different touch to see, um, you know, sports without fans. That is one of the sports that you know, you really just have a completely different touch and actually seeing kind of damage that these guys are doing to each other. Um, so my, my personal opinion on that would have to be the NBA. I feel like their leadership and Adam Silver's just job as a commissioner overall is, is tremendous in terms of bringing it back to full normalcy. But honestly, even starting the sort of wave of, of other leagues that kind of canceled their season and said, you know, we're not going to do this. Um, to, to put that many players in one place and to have the facilities all together, the quarantines, the, the protocols, everything all in one tight-knit group is, is, to me, extremely hard. I do believe there will be more players that will come out and test positive for the virus, but I just think Silver himself um, has done a tremendous job as the NBA's commissioner. But that will wrap us up in terms of time. you guys have any final things you want to add? No, I think we, think we covered most of what's going on, and I think we did a good job of it. I mean, who would have thought we, we would be where we are right now, where we're talking about bubbles and we're talking about <laughs> the NBA playoffs taking place in Orlando and even the MLS, their return to play, taking place in Orlando. But honestly, it is good to be, to be back in a way talking about sports because, you know, th- this is something that we all love. And believe it or not, sports, a lot of people depend on it, not only mentally because it gets you back, but also financially. Not only do the players themselves rely on it, but all of the people that work for these leagues and these organizations, they rely on games being played because without it, they don't get paid. So that's why it is good to see all of these leagues coming back. And the fact that we can come together and talk about everything that's going on, I think it's terrific. Yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing that we all share is just a general love for sports. Um, you know, the fact that we're even doing this on a Zoom call right now is because of the pandemic itself. But the fact that we can do this, I look at, you know, as a positive. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a pleasure doing this with you guys today. Uh, so for my panelists, Brendan Marsamo and Michael Daly, my name is Justin Morris. I hope you guys enjoyed this Sports Talk Zoom. Tune in next week for our overall comprehensive NBA coverage, and we will see you guys then. Hope you guys have a great day.